0: The community part is a big deal. There is this one statistic that in our course that we kept learning, he called it his one in 10 rule. It only takes one house to have very sloppy practices to invite a rat infestation into the neighborhood. It only takes one house to invest 10. It really has to be a community effort, which is why it's such a big deal that cities are engaging public at a large scale.
1: Hello, and welcome to Building Local Power, a podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, dedicated to challenging corporate monopolies and expanding the power of people to shape their own future. I'm Reggie Rucker, and today we are talking about rats. Now you might be thinking, why are we talking about rats? I have to say, I cannot wait for this conversation. I've lived in DC for a little over a year at this point, and I am stunned to the degree that rats are everywhere. and I say everywhere, not so much everywhere I go, although like a little bit of that, but it's in my social media feed. People are just constantly talking about rats in this city. And so recently, Luke is gonna tell you about some work that our composting team about how you can compost and avoid rats. And so it just made total sense. We have to have a rat conversation. But before we get into all that, I will pass it over to my co-host, Luke.
2: Thank you, Reggie. You know, I haven't lived in a city long enough to experience the rat infestations. As I've been preparing for this show, I've read a bunch of rat articles, and I'm just so surprised how big of an issue they are. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But my name is Luke Gannon, and today on the show, we are speaking with a reporter at Bloomberg City Lab, Linda Poon. In her work, Linda covers how to be an activist And an advocate of Asian American communities, the complexities of urban life, how cities are responding to climate disasters, and recently she wrote about a rodent control crash course and the relationship between humans and rats. ILSR released a new guide called Oh Rats, which looks at how you can safely compost while avoiding rodents completely. So we felt like this was a perfect occasion to have Linda on the show to talk about all things urban, climate change, and rats. We are so excited to have you on the show today, Linda. Welcome. Thank you. I never thought my rat knowledge would
0: take me to places.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we'll get started here. So from the reading that I've done, rats have a very long and resilient and fascinating history. So, Linda, can you give us some of those main highlights of rat history and how they really became a common rodent in cities around the United States?
0: Yeah. So, the basic story goes that rats came to our shores by boats, specifically to the US shores, sometime in the mid 1700s by England and France, mostly. And the rats that we commonly see in here in the US are called Norway rats because they're thought to have trouble via Norway boats. That's that's one of the theories, but really they likely originate in Asia, somewhere in the northern China, Mongolian region. The Norway rat name is sort of a misnomer, but we're going to call them brown rats. And once they came to our shores, they you know, they quickly colonized as we were building up our cities, they were right here with us. They were, they were making use of our bounty, if you will, right? They're opportunists. So they were living off our food, they were living off our inability to properly dispose of our food waste. So any anywhere there's opportunity for them to find resources, they took it. And then they're also very great at hiding from us. So they hide in the shadows, they move in the dark, they can squeeze in the tiniest holes. And so they also really make use of our city infrastructure as we we're building them up. So that's one way they hide. And they're incredibly good at detecting danger. At the base of their whiskers are these amazing nerves that can detect everything that's like in front of them. So they're always one step ahead of us.
1: That's so interesting. There's certain areas of a city that tend to be more hospitable to rats because of their sort of inability to process food waste correctly or infrastructure isn't quite what it needs to be? Or can you tell us about how different parts of the city might be affected more or less by rat problems?
0: Yeah, so basically anywhere there's food, that is where the rats thrive. So we think about in the city, commercial centers with tons of restaurants, especially now that we're doing a lot of outdoor dining, right? It's not even food that customers are dropping right it, it's it's when the restaurants close at night they're just dragging their trash their, their bag of food waste and wherever there are good hideouts so parks are really really fascinating places to look for infestation this is one of the places we went to when i took my crash course in dc and rodent control academy and because you know what are in parks people eat in parks people dispose of waste in parks there are trash cans right if you're lucky, there are trash cans. But even with trash cans, those trash cans are overflowing. And then there are a bunch of bushes, shade, and ground for rats to burrow in. So parks are amazing for rats. And then there are like the alleyways, right? Where people leave their trash out. Where again they do have access to food that people are either throwing out. Some rats find their way into homes. So anywhere there's lots of food, lots of waste, that is where rats really thrive.
1: I wanted to jump back in. So of all the places that you mentioned, you did not say like subway stations, metro, rails, things of that nature. In DC, I see that all the time. Also, when I watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a child, why why the subway?
0: If you think about it, subways are underground, right? Rats really do thrive underground. We usually think of sewers and stuff but if if you think about places that are dark and there are a lot of places to hide right i mean if you i don't know about you but when i've seen a rat in the subway it's one or two rats and they're outside looking for food but hopefully you don't see like a colony of rats just chilling on the subway platform so it's not that Subways aren't great. Like, obviously, Pizza Rat was the star of the New York subway, right? So, again, there are people, they're dropping food, so they're out foraging, more or less. I do think where there are places where they can tunnel and burrow, that's where rats will live, where they'll be out and about is where there's just tons of food.
2: Yeah, so thinking about this conversation, what you've said so far, Linda, I'm thinking about, okay, you know, I drop some food and I leave the park and a rat comes and eats the food, and I feel like I've never ran into just any big rat infestation or like a rat colony, as you said. So like what's the big deal? why do we why do we care?
0: Well, then you're one of the lucky ones I would say <laughs> um, but the big deal is one thing that we learned during this crash course is when we think about who does rodent control, it's the DC or any city public health department. So there is a huge health implications for when your cities are invested in rats. So when you think about it, where rats like to scurry in trash, they like to scurry in sewage, places where they just pick up a lot of pathogens. So they are full of diseases. They carry diseases on their fur, they carry it in their saliva, in their urine, in their droppings. And then they kind of like to co-mingle wherever humans are. So they come into our homes, they're scurrying in the kitchen at night when we're asleep. So if you think about the places where we intersect with rats, not maybe not in real time, right? We're not always running into rats, like you said, but we're walking in places where, where rats have been. And rats can infect humans with a ton of diseases. Just to give you a little bit, there's the Hantavirus. There's something called a rat bite fever. It's not just you running into a rat. Rats leave behind urine. And then one of the most fascinating and not really appetizing sort of statistic is that a rat can urinate micro droplets 3,000 times in 24 hours. And you can think about how much viruses live in just a small droplet. Rats can carry thousands, if not millions of ours in just that one urine droplet. And one thing that we learn is how do rats pee? They pee and then they kind of walk away and they kind of create a little trail. So if you really look closely at your surroundings, you can see signs of rats everywhere. So we humans utilize the same space that rats do.
2: That was a very good answer, Linda. You have completely changed my mind to when I run into rats or when I'm walking on the sidewalk or the park, now I'm going to think about their urine every time. It's one of the things, (laughs) once you
0: learn what the signs are, you're kind of always looking for it. Rat urine apparently has a very distinctive shape. They look like commas. I know this is like TMI, but it really shows you how much rats are in our society. Yeah.
1: So aside from them being prolific urinators, the disease conversation actually moves me into the next question I wanted to ask, which was in some of the writings that we've seen about this, things have changed amongst the rat population when COVID hit. Can you talk a little bit about how COVID and maybe it was the shutdowns or what effect that COVID had on either the proliferation or suppression of, of rat populations in cities?
0: Yeah, so I use this term in one of my articles called anthropause. So when humans stopped their activity, the rats sort of also stopped their activity. So during the shutdown, when we weren't visiting restaurants, when we weren't eating in restaurants, commercial centers saw a very significant drop of rat sightings. That's how cities kind of measure how many how much rats are in their cities. They saw a significant drop of rat sightings, 301 calls in their commercial centers. Why? Because all the humans were at home, making food at home. So the rats sort of followed us into the residential areas. And then the rats that lived in these commercial centers, they saw a decrease in resources. So yes, rats may have died off during the shutdown. But one interesting thing was that once humans came back, they came right back with us. And they came back fast and abruptly, rats are proficient breeders. And then when we came back to our old ways of leaving trash on the ground, you know, overflowing trash cans, eating outside, that just gave fuel to for these rats to thrive again in these commercial centers. So that is all to say that rats and humans are very connected. How we act, what we do affects how rats population also thrive in the city.
2: This relationship between rats and humans has been particularly interesting through the history of rats and humans too. But one thing that is most apparent right now is during climate change and how rat populations have changed as temperature levels rise. And so I'm curious to hear, there've been a lot of journalists who have talked about the rat apocalypse <laughs> and what are the factors of climate change that are either making it easier for rats to thrive or as reggie said suppressing the rat population
0: yeah so there isn't a huge amount of research linking climate change to a growth in rat population But there is this idea that what happens is with climate change, winters are becoming warmer. Winters are usually when the breeding kind of slows down a bit in rats because of colder temperatures. But if it's warmer, these rats are breeding throughout the year. And then that leads to off-season litters. And if you think about how many times a female rat can produce, it's a lot. So so some numbers, a female rat can produce up to six or seven litters a year. That's normal. You know, right? that's like not factoring climate change. Each litter can have five to 12 pups. And then it only takes a few months for rats to reach sexual maturity. So that process just starts right over again. So if you add that extra time for them to breed, a rat population can grow very, very quickly. And rats are very good at finding space. So it's not like, there are limited cities are always expanding, right? And rats are just finding new places to start colonies. And so that's one way climate change is sort of speeding up the rat population growth. There aren't many ways that I know about about climate change suppressing rat population. If there is, then that's just like a very thin, very, very thin silver lining to climate change, which there shouldn't be any. But that's one way that Rats are really adapting. They're great adapters, right? They're, that's how they're adapting to a changing climate.
1: wanna make sure everybody heard that if you don't care about the next generation, if you don't care about the planet, like if you don't care about anything except for trying to stay away from dirty rats, then we need to solve the climate crisis. There's like one, one more reason to solve the climate crisis. We will be right back after a very short break. As an organization seeking the end of corporate control in local communities, you'll understand why our commercial break sounds a little different. There's no corporation selling you something in an ad, just me. Thanking you for listening to our show. And if you're enjoying this episode, which if you've made it this far, I'm assuming you are, I definitely encourage you to go check out more of our work to build local power. As we mentioned earlier, our composting team just published a new guide on how you can avoid creating food waste with composting and avoid creating a rat problem, all at the same time. So if you appreciate this work, please head over to ILSR.org backslash donate to make a contribution. Any amount is deeply, deeply appreciated. And if you're looking for additional ways to support, please rate or leave a review of the show wherever you listen to your podcast. These reviews make a huge difference in helping us reach a wider audience. Okay, that's our break. Thank you for listening. And now back to the show. So going to move on a little bit, we want to talk about infrastructure. You mentioned this earlier and sort of how the infrastructure of cities played a role in the rat population. And so whether it's the infrastructure that we create in response to rising temperature levels in response to floods and fires there's all sorts of ways in which we're creating and adapting a set of infrastructure tools to respond to a change in climate. So can you talk a little bit more about sort of the way that infrastructure has evolved over time and how that's played a role in the in the evolution of of rats in our cities?
0: Rats Thrive wherever there are holes in buildings, right? So when you have a lot of construction sites, you're building these buildings. Rats are just finding new places to hide in. And when you're filling people into these buildings, that's their resource. So with infrastructure, urban parks have become a very prominent feature in cities for 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 good reasons, right? We, we need our parks. But when they're not well maintained, it's not so much the building of stuff, but what, how we're maintaining what we're building, right? So when we have these urban parks, but we're not maintaining it, we're not making sure the trash is getting collected, or that the trash are rat proof. That's where we find rat infestations, where we're creating opportunities for rats to thrive. And there has to be something where you're digging to the ground, and you're like, disrupting rat burrow they're just you know kind of spreading out I don't know that for sure but there has to be something right so infrastructure does play a really big role in how rats navigate a city and like I said it's how we maintain that infrastructure that Really is gonna be important, and it's not just huge buildings, right? It's it's something as simple as where we're placing trash cans. We're thinking about city furniture, really, and what those trash cans are made of—if it's steel, if it's plastic, if it's getting collected enough. So one thing that expert consultant Bobby Corrigan, who has been working with cities, is is you know always stressing is that without smart ways of have of holding our trash and collecting our trash, rats can really proliferate. What we put in our parks really matter, too. If you're having plants that create great rural opportunities, rats will take that opportunity. So it's these small things, right, that really, really impact how rats are going to become urban residents,
1: if we will. That makes so much sense, particularly we mentioned at the top of this episode that Part of why we wanted to talk to you was because of this guide we have on composting and how if you compost the right way, you can eliminate the rat problems that some people have mistakenly believed that it's composting that is attracting the rat because they think of it as leaving food out in the way that we've been talking about. But it's actually quite the opposite to where it's creating less food waste. And if you do it the right way... Then not only are you creating less food waste, but it's compacted in a way and, and hidden in a way to where there are no odors seeping out. And again, you're eliminating that food waste. So I think it's important to really think about the ways in which cities can, like you mentioned, reduce the amount of food waste that's being created. Have you seen other ways in which the public has? actively gotten involved to advocate in their city and have you seen sort of communities rise up in a way and call on their elected officials to really like stand up and do something
0: so one thing that i think that's hard with rat control is that the public really has to play a role and right now cities are trying to get their public to care one thing that cities have been really trying to do are, are have is having these sort of public education campaigns. So the rodent control academy that I spoke about is something that is an example of that and something that DC has been doing for quite a few years. Basically, they invite experts and they invite anybody who wants to attend to sit in, not just learn about what poison to use, who is the best pest control company, but understand exactly how rats behave. Because we're not gonna really get rid of rats just by smoking them out there's there's just too many and that's this that's the harsh reality but so there's a lot of need to have preventive measures and without public education you can't have these preventive measures so that's why the rodent control academy aside from being super entertaining for someone like me can be very effective and and getting people to think about rats First, before in in any activity that they do. One interesting statistic I learned is that a quarter of Americans have no trouble about littering. So there are a lot of anti-litter campaigns that, you know, have a different purpose, right? Just want to keep a city cleaner. So that's another way. But a lot of the solutions besides changing up the trash cans, which some cities actually are actively trying. I know New York City and San Francisco are testing out different trash can designs. But aside from that, getting the public to care about rats is a really big deal. And getting them to understand what is it that attracts rats to them in the first place can make a difference.
1: That's such a good point. Even going back to my recent experience here in D.C. where I see them and it's like, ah, like that's gross or whatever. But then I don't actually take the next step to say, and I should make sure not to throw this banana peel in this garbage can that's sitting right next to me or whatever the case may be, you know? And so that's an important point. I went on my long expose about how composting can be a solution, or if done right, can help mitigate rat issues. Is that something that ever comes up in any of the trainings or any research that you've done? Have you seen much about composting and rat populations?
0: I can't say I've ever thought about composting and rats in the same thought process. and But it makes sense, right? Any way you can better dispose of food really can help not just your space, right? If if you have a good container for Compact and that food is going to good use, not only are you helping with emissions, but you're keeping food waste out of the public streets and stuff. And like I said, when people think about trash, they're very, very careless with trash. We humans, like once we throw our trash, we don't think about it. But with compost, there is a, a bit more consideration. I think in our minds, we really do think a little bit more about how we're composting. People aren't just like carelessly throwing a banana into are compost bin and be like oh okay well the lids have open. who cares right because they know they know the consequences so I think even that change of thinking can go a long way I guess one thing that cities will have to figure out is one how to make composting more available citywide right that's something I've written about you know how can we get citywide composting how can cities if it's a citywide effort how can composting be efficiently picked up and processed otherwise We'll go back to having the same problem if we're careless. So I I do think composting will make a good impact sort of fight against rats.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Linda. Made me think about so much, you know, we're having this rat discussion, but what you said towards the end there was I felt like one of the most important parts, which is it's really about having a cleaner and a more sustainable city and environment. And that's the real point. If we're not doing that, that's why we get these rat infestations at the point that you brought up about littering. I never thought of that, but yeah, of course, if someone litters, there's, rats are going to go to that, right? There's if creating and building these communities and these solutions to whether it's picking up litter or making better, more sustainable trash cans that will protect from rats or whatever it is. There are so many ways that communities can really work together. Really appreciate that. I think.
0: The community part is a big deal. There is this one statistic that in our course that we kept learning, he called it his one in 10 rule. It only takes one house to have very sloppy practices to invite a rat infestation into the neighborhood. It only takes one house to invest 10. It really has to be a community effort, which is why it's such a big deal that cities are engaging public at a large scale and not just certain neighborhoods or certain residents right or or certain merchants it's just it has to be a city-wide
2: effort absolutely i like that one in ten that's nice so i think we're gonna move on to our final question here which is how we end all of our building local power episodes what is a book that has impacted the way that you think about the world and the work that you have done or your writing
0: All right. If we're talking specifically about rats, I was just looking at this book. One book that I reviewed this year is called The Accidental Ecosystem. It's by Peter Alagonia. And basically, it's a book about how humans have enabled wildlife to sort of thrive in cities. Rats are wildlife. They're pests, but they're also wildlife. It brings back to the whole point that what humans do really, really impact how other organisms around us live. So if we want to avoid rats, we have to look at ourselves first. One thing that was very interesting when I talked to the author of this book is people hate to hear it, but rats are just like us. Rats are at the end of the day. They're just like humans. And so I really thought about that when I was doing my research for the article about going to a rat academy, right? It's a lot of the points that this author emphasized was also emphasized at this crash course basically we really do have to adjust our behaviors in order to make a change in not just rats but like if we're really really thinking about trying to curb global warming it it it, we have to think about our daily routines what's what we're doing and you know it's interesting because people say oh you know what individuals do is such just a small part of climate change but if you think about so many people in a city, so many cities, it, it it becomes important.
1: That's really big too. I love that. There's often the idea of that climate change is so big, one person can't make a difference. But then going back to this one in 10 rule, where it's literally that one person can make all the difference for this, this neighborhood, this city. So being able to really get a sense of that individual power that someone has to make a true difference. That's, yeah, I think that's incredibly powerful. It's good to hear that story.
2: Yeah, that sounds like an interesting book too. One of the things I love that you said is, which I think about all the time is just changing our mindset, changing our individual behavior to be more adept to these solutions that really are right at our fingertips.
0: Rats are very good at adapting. Maybe it's time we kind of think more like rats. We're gonna to have to adapt to what's best for the planet.
1: Absolutely, that's such a great point. Thank you so much, Linda. This was a great conversation.
2: We so appreciate you being on here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this fascinating episode of the Building Local Power podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You can find links to everything discussed today by going to ILSR.org and clicking on the show page for this episode. That is ILSR.org.
2: We have tons of ways for you to get involved in our work. You can sign up for one of our many newsletters, connect with us on social media, or even reach out with a podcast guest. All of your reviews, likes, and donations help produce this very podcast and support the research and resources that we make available for free on our website. This show is produced by the great Reggie Rocker and me, Luke Gannon. This podcast is edited by Drew Birschbaum. Our theme music is funk interlude by Dysfunctional. But before we end, check out more of Linda's work at Bloomberg. And head over to ILSR.org and check out our new Rats Guide. Thanks for listening.